Was it murder? This is Illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read some stuff this week. I watched a show. This week we are covering Hulu's Only Murders in the Building. I think it is Hulu's biggest comedy debut to date, starring Steve Martin, Martin Short, Selena Gomez, star-studded. We're getting behind it today. This <laughs> covers the true crime podcast phenomenon. A TV show about a podcast on a podcast. <laughs> so I am stoked about you guys TV are here with shows. us. Yeah. <laughs> and this is going to be a really fun one. A little meta today, and we're going to talk a little bit more of the world that we exist in. But yeah. True crime is the phrase we'll be orbiting around, linked with, for a long time, what people would call trash culture, meaning <laughs> cheap, simple, it works for the uncritical masses. The murder mystery, getting into yeah. the serial killers the, the and unsolved paperback and, yeah. books. Trying to solve, you know, we covered this a little bit, you know, the more reputable version of it, but I'll be gone in the dark with the story of the, of the Golden State Killer. Mm -hmm. there, there is an element of that going on here of her trying to track down. That was a very reputable way to do it. There is an offshoot of this in the public zeitgeist where people think that they are her you know, and doing it that way, but they really don't have the sense of exactly what that yeah. means and how she was professional in doing journalism and that watching a documentary and listening to a podcast doesn't make you an expert on the case. So that's what this whole show centers around is that these, these three in an yeah. apartment building in New York uh, find themselves wrapped up in a mysterious thought to be officially pronounced suicide in their apartment building. They're all entrenched in this uh, podcast series that's out. That's how they kind of find each other. And then they get the bright idea to kind of sneak into the building and kind of see what happened to this dead person. Lo and behold, that leads them down a, a mystery that on the outset, nobody invited them on. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's... The biggest closest illusion might be Rear Window, which also involves right. a New York apartment complex and somebody <laughs> who was not quite invited. He just right. happens <laughs> to be looking in windows and then the windows are almost like TV channels to him. It's almost like this, the, the idea of the like duty thrust onto a citizen. Like, I know something's happening. I must act or, you know, the will or the right. want to put it together. It's very interesting. Rear Window is a great example for that. Yeah. Yeah. Which we covered the bizarre corollary woman in the window where the uh, guy actually was, the author was a, was a fraudster. It was incredible. It was one of the most shocking episodes of Illiterate. Go back and, <laughs> and check out Woman in the Window. But one of the big pieces, as you're saying, the characters in this show decide to make a podcast about what they're uncovering lends itself to the idea of there's no mystery really until the characters decide to make it one, right. which is where a lot of the guff podcasts get, which we'll get into one of the big ones being serial. It really broke through. It ubiquitized this true crime podcast as one thing. Have you heard? Have you listened to serial? I mean, it was everywhere in terms of like the first thing where people I'd never even heard of listening to podcasts were now suddenly interested in this story and in and, and, and the same way that format that it was it was a lot. It was a stepping stone to a lot of people. And so this show only murders in the building being a comedy they feature in future episodes a Sarah Koenig-esque host, and it's who they all these characters love from their podcast, Loving Times. Tina Fey plays this character. Her name is Cinda Canning, which is very close to Sarah Koenig. <laughs> they make those allusions very clear. And also Tina Fey and Sarah Koenig both have dark hair, dark glasses, even toned mm. voices. 
they know that that's she's a match. <laughs> yeah, they're referencing it. Is a podcast that um, you suggested to me, and this kind of takes it one step further. Is like not necessarily a crime or a murder, but it's the same person, the same idea of a person inserting themselves into a mystery. Uh-huh. It was a, a podcast that you recommended. I forget the exact title, but it was something or other missing Richard Simmons. Yes, Richard yes. Simmons, the the uh, exerciser trainer disappeared off the face of the planet uh, <laughs> overnight one day. Do you know where um, he is listening? Yeah. No, have you, you heard of him yeah. in 10 years? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So go look into it. Turns out there was a, uh, he ran a gym and one of the members at his gym, once he disappeared and the gym shut down, what, what, where is, where's Richard and tracked him down. It's an incredible thing. But again, it's like that Richard disappeared and, mm-hmm. and, and maybe there wasn't a mystery until he made it a mystery. You know what I mean? It's a, uh, mm-hmm. This idea of this idea of this ownership or this the wanting to walk down the path, um, it's it's very interesting when it's not your path. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of that, what not being your path, a big piece of this show that just came out on Hulu is the location. Why that becomes so important is because you do want to know about these people. How in the world are they able to live here? This place is epic. It is the Upper West Side of Manhattan. They play on that about how in the you know they they come to the building and the building being a very interesting, very warm, and you said epic. It's very regal, a very (laughs) regal place. So you start to see the the portrait of these characters who are lonely and you know they they've lost they've lost their careers in ways they're disaffected from their families, and then you have this twenty something year old uh, who's like supposedly renovating her own apartment. Which is just insane, to, and it is insane to them. So it's very interesting, and I'll be interested to see exactly what they pull out for her character. Mm-hmm. So it is more of a character thing, and the murder stuff is more like a dinner theater murder mystery quality to it. Right. Where in a lot of the other true crime stuff, it's all about the case and the clues, and and less about who Why is are trying these people to doing it this? You know, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's very much where the show is going to wade into is why, well, why are they led to, to, to do this? Why are they led to get to the bottom of this? When, mm-hmm. why, why are they not with their families? Where's his daughter? You know, all these questions. Mm-hmm. So that kind of led me to this TV show. Is it based on anything, which is usually the premise of the show. We expand it in cases like this where true crime is the thing that it's being. Yeah. It's commenting on a phenomena. Yeah. One of the authors did have a personal connection to the story. So this was written and created by Steve Martin, Dan Fogelman, who did This Is Us, and John Hoffman, who did Grace and Frankie. Oh, cool. So John Hoffman is the one who has a personal connection. A year before writing the show, he didn't come up with it. Steve Martin came to him. But a year before, he learned that a childhood friend of his was found dead on the floor with someone else. And it was deemed a murder suicide. And it was deemed that his friend was the one who had done it. And it was so shocking also because he was close, but it was, you know, he hadn't spoken to him in 20 years, but more the fact that he couldn't believe that this happened a so close to home and B with somebody that he thought this is crazy. So he, he took time, went back to Wisconsin, met, the person's family met their kids, learned about his life. Wow. All this time, the case is being investigated by authorities, but it turned out that the whole thing was reversed and his friend was the one who was killed. And so this oh, whole situation wow. happens over the course of a year and John Hoffman is feeling the same feelings maybe as some of these characters being removed from someone's life, 
but it's you evident. Also, um, it's yeah. evident. It's evident to me. Um, I come into this episode, you know, we're talking about this, this idea of phenomena less away from the it coming from a specific thing. And lo and behold, here it is, very specific thing that very much so influenced this show. Mm-hmm. Because watching just the first episode, and I let the rest of the episodes play on in the background, but watching just the first episode, I can tell that they're hinting at connection between the Selena character and the dead body. And getting into the meditation of of trying to understand who he really was. They have some sort of connection, but I think it was in their Mm -hmm. past. She once knew this boy. Now he's a dead man. And where, how? how, So just the first episode, just a couple little scenes there. I can see everything that he is Mm -hmm. bringing from his real experience into this. Right. Um, Because like I said. It's it's too close. It's, (laughs) It's And I look and I'm coming in here. We're talking about a phenomena. We're talking about social stuff. I'm the last thing I'm, th- I'm thinking actively that I have to protect against like, well, there's not a source and there's not an, you know, an inciting incident that, you know, that was built around this story. And here we have a show about it. Well, here we are. <laughs> well, it, it's also interesting because, like I said, this was all happening away from this. He was approached by Steve Martin and said, hey, we have this idea for this thing. It's this murder in a building and they want to do a podcast. Yeah. It's yeah. called Only Murder in the Building. And he says yes and shares this story of his from yeah. the past year. And saying this might not be good because this is quite, you want to do a comedy. This was very hard. And they're like, no, you have to do this show with us. Yeah. They're like, you're saying, you, you mean you have a reason to do this. You, you that's what you're saying. <laughs> right. Not you shouldn't um, do it because yeah, it's, it's too dark or, or, or too personal and you wouldn't want to muddy it. Now it's like, no, wait, you have a reason to tell the story. You mm-hmm. have the credibility to tell a story like this. Uh, mm-hmm. It's almost more interesting that this isn't, uh, this is, seems to be very, very much hidden in terms of what the inspiration for the show was. Cause even I looked before we put it on the calendar yeah. and I couldn't find a direct influence. So it's, it's very interesting that they're not leaning on that in some ways um, well maybe, maybe they are and i haven't looked for him recently or... it, exactly and it very that was what i was going to get to next it might mm-hmm. just that's that personal and it's in the show and that's all you need to know is the show there it is right so speaking of the the personal and the why this led me down the path of the true crime genre in general the older history kind of goes without saying why are people interested in this stuff mm-hmm well, it's self-evident. It's in the words. It's true and it's crime. Wouldn't you gawk uh, uh, Yeah. Fake um, crime. Who cares? <laughs> well, that's also part of it. But here, here, here we go with the history of this. And some of this stuff speaks directly to the show I found, which was interesting to me. Mm. The real, real piece of the true crime was relegated to newspapers, magazines. I'm speaking from 1550 to 1700 is yeah. when literacy is also exploding, at least in Europe these pamphlets was the thing detailing crimes and murders of the time literally called murder pamphlets which is hilarious to me (laughs) that you'd just be handing out well here's 12 to 200 pages of all the various crime and murder happening in the streets of london (laughs) and of course i'll post links to (laughs) you can see some of these things this was not for the lowly peasant masses this was still for the artisan respectable classes and above it had all sorts of stuff in it, not just the blunt facts of this thing happened at this time in this street. They also had ballads from the criminal's point of view, all sorts of tonal changes between the different accounts of what happened. Some it's like holding court in a pamphlet mm-hmm. <laughs> with no outcome. It's just like this all happened. This everybody was everybody thinking about it. That's really interesting. Yeah. Some even had pleas by the major suspect for their innocence. They got printed in these murder wow. pamphlets. Wow. As well, 
this like a, the original idea of this true crime, you know, entertainment, this first, you know, archaic form of it's really, it's really cool. <laughs> some artistry to it as well. Yeah. It wasn't just the dry proceedings. Right. Yeah. It wasn't just pl- the point flat that it happens. You have different points of view. You know, you have pleading, ballads, poetry, damnation. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) it's all there. The first big piece that had comedy to do with this was a satire in 1827. And this was a satirical essay called On Murder Considered as One of the Fine Arts by Thomas de Quincey. Mm. And he pretended the persona writing this was a member of the Society of Connoisseurs in Murder and doesn't even go into the moral, ethical, social implications, but more arguing for the aesthetics of it. The theories of the sublime, which was big in Gothic writings of the time. I have not heard it said as such in modern terms, but I love it. Uh, uh, I am a murder connoisseur. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's a society uh, it, for it. Yeah, it's like, well, we, you know, we're, we're get, we'll get to and talking about this the armchair experts of mm-hmm. true crime. And it's that have would they ever call themselves a murder connoisseur? And because you're saying that is just brings different connotations to to mind. Um, yeah. So it's, it's very, that's, that's a very interesting place to start. That this was 1827. <laughs> yeah. He is, because, it, so this was split up into three parts. The third part, he gives a straightforward narrative. It was very much based on what had happened a decade ago in 1811 was this thing called the Ratcliffe Highway Murders, where seven people were slaughtered. He's critiquing, like you're saying, the philosophy and also the voyeurism of the press at the time, Mm -hmm. as well as the lack of anybody doing anything about it. Because I didn't realize this, two years after this, 1829, is the first centralized formal police department in London. There were no- There were no police departments that were centralized for the city. It's a satire, but he is he just is, regional militias. <laughs> yes, I, I don't. Or yeah, regional, yeah. local. Yeah, there wasn't a uh, formal a centralized thing for the for the larger regions. Very give us tips, all that stuff. Yeah, so that is what starts a the comedy side of it, the satirizing, but then also the full books coming out based on these things. Studies in murder was in 1924, and that was based on the Lizzie Borden situation right in america yeah, very famous very famous murder. and then just glossing through some of these in cold blood in 65 true really, man <laughs> that was i mean really, that really that was a huge one i mean for him to be doing something like that that broke down the door of mm-hmm. what was reputable uh, uh literary material uh, he showed you could do it and you could do it with a reason you could do it with a point and you could do it with integrity mm-hmm. yeah definitely that people the term nonfiction novel was thrown around after that which the story told by a writer not just a prosecutor or lawyer or somebody involved if, in it yeah and if you're interested in this i mean i couldn't recommend the film capote enough right um, because it, re- re- it gets down to his perspective about why he is doing this i mean i think that's so relevant in terms of what we're getting at in these armchair podcasts you know uh, you know this is a real look at one of the most famous writers of all time certainly in american history um trailblazing unsure personally unsure of exactly yes but he sees a way through the film is incredible Mm -hmm. and if you're interested in this mindset if the idea of why how people could be led down to you know trails that aren't theirs that that film really does it succinctly Mm -hmm. in a a beautiful way speaking of other people skipping over sort of helter skelter in 74 which was the other big one which i'll have to say 
our most commented viewed video on YouTube ever is the one that we did on chaos about Charles Manson. Right. Was the referendum all- on Helter Skelter, uh, yeah. which has blown up. I keep seeing that uh, not only when we covered it, but it blew up and I've seen it back in the news recently as this year. Uh, but the true crime part of that, I mean, that is far and away one of our most like common. We dared to dip our toe period, and this but, was August, right. August of 2019. And then everybody has an opinion. Everybody is a detective. Most of the comments are negative because it's conspiracy people on YouTube. It <laughs> it's crazy. It's amazing. It's just like, why um, did we even try chaos to chaos the book it? is like is is incredible. I highly recommend you go back and listen yeah. to that episode, listen to interviews with that author. But um that is a again, I would think not only is Helter Skelter a step in this a touchstone in this lineage, but then to comment back on that, chaos is mm-hmm. is even bigger. And talking of journalism, you had already mentioned 2018's I'll Be Gone in the Dark, which is Michelle right. McNamara amateur detective she calls herself looked into this and then they got the golden state killer two years after she died and that's like really what i think most people that love these types of things i mean that wouldn't you be love wouldn't you love to be the person that caught you know that solved yeah. it that did it i think that they, they want to be her everybody wants to be her i mean she did it on a scale that i mean she got him man <laughs> you know like or at uh, least presented so- enough evidence worked to right. cut out missing pieces or get rid of leads that would go nowhere if not for her he would not have been caught it's pretty clear and and i think people want to contribute that to the world and that's a that's an okay thing to to want to Mm -hmm. contribute but we need to understand exactly what about michelle mcnamara's work was uh you know professional incredible and went through the proper lines of uh, uh proper proper channels mm-hmm. uh, there's a way to go about these things that that is so much more that commands so much more of your life than simply listening to a few episodes of a podcast watching a documentary reading some books i did want to speaking of michelle mcnamara a big piece of it is also the female perspective that she brought to it and mm-hmm. you can just look up anything in regards to true crime and there is a question of the boom in female interest uh, I have heard of that. Yeah. And I, it's not even been a, a thought. But yeah, that is an interesting thing. And particularly, I mean, look, the, if you want to have the gold level version of that, there she is, Michelle McNamara. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> I had just even looked into some stuff with this. The typical person 10 years ago in chat rooms or conventions was some creepy guy who liked John Wayne Gacy. You know, it wasn't. Right. right. Yeah. I, really, yeah. what I'm pulling from a lot of is this book called Savage Appetites by Rachel Monroe, and I'll put a link to it. Very interesting where she's talking Mm. about, she doesn't want to have a reductive reason. People want to say, well, why? And then there's one answer. You know, there's not really one reason why you could say, oh, it seems like women are more attracted to this than men. And you might could... You might could quantify it to a certain degree because um, with the onset of the popularity of this, one of the number one podcasts in the world, My Favorite Murder, is two women sharing wine and, and discussing you know, mysteries. Mm-hmm. It's very conversational. I am a, I'm a fan of Last Podcast on the Left myself, but it's that it, it's two women drinking and discussing and mm-hmm. being friends. And I mean, and it is, I mean, gosh, I, I haven't looked at the numbers recently, but it, they were the 
<laughs> the true crime podcast. Yeah. So yeah. to quantify it a little bit to back you up there, I, I, you know, that's definitely not well, something yeah. you can just dismiss. Well, um, some of the some of the stuff that Rachel Monroe has in her book, she's talking about the four aspects maybe to identify with are the four parts of it being the detective, the victim, the defender, and the killer. Some interesting mm-hmm. stats that I saw. Most murder victims are young men of color, but most victims of these true crime stories are white middle class women. Mm. So that's also a skewed perspective right. that might right. change some of the statistics. There's a great book, which I'll post a link to, called Ghetto Side, which came out in 2015, written by Jill Levy. And this speaks to this kind of missing statistic or missing interest in these stories. It's all about inner city homicide, particularly in Los Angeles, profiling all aspects of it, detectives, policing, solving cases. Mm -hmm. That is a part of it that is interesting that it's like, well, that's not a part of, even though everything is, all of it is true crime. Most of it is not focused on that. But to the counter of that for other statistics, 70% of victims killed by an intimate partner are women. And 44% of women have experienced some form of contact sexual violence in their lifetime. This book, Savage Appetites, talking about not reducing it to one thing, but the fascination, maybe for women, she's saying it's the the formulaic thing of seeing justice served. And if you are already living in a society with misogyny, sexism, fear of being assaulted, this is- Yeah, it's a a way to process the, the, you know, if you feel that that there's a slight against uh, women- then you will be attracted to the women, the women's stories and women being at the center of most of these um, podcasts and mm-hmm. um, and documentaries. I mean, it makes sense uh, to to some degree, but this is all. It's, yeah, it's interesting. This is fascinating. And, uh, <laughs> consider the, this. Um, the other two things being like I was saying, where it's like, well, if you're seeing that even if you yourself are not going to be involved in a crazy true crime, just seeing these other true crimes and seeing it reflected in the world, whether you're comparing it to the Me Too movement or whatever, right. but just looking at right. like, how could a man in ter- well, terms of the Well, we've come up to a reckoning. Killer, we're, tra- we're starting to challenge you know, structures of power yeah. that, you know, lead, you know, lead innocent people into preying, you know, situations. So mm-hmm. it, with that very much on people's mind, especially since 2017, I mean, it's no question that people could be then in turn looking at true crime and seeing women at the in the vulnerable center of this and see, hearing stories about justice being served, mm-hmm. all those all those types of things. This, this is a very interesting thread to pull on because I didn't really consider this at all. Mm-hmm. But it is there's there's not nothing to it. <laughs> well, you had to, to you, you did think about it in terms of it relating to podcasting, which is now the bigger piece of it, true crime podcasting and the current. That was the, yeah, that was other yeah. th- like that was the first thing. It was like, yeah, well, the number one true crime podcast is two women drinking wine talking about it. There, there it is. The some of the biggest examples as of late that you can pull. I mean, the biggest mm-hmm. podcast in the genre, and then the gold standard of doing the dream are are all women led. Well, let me break it down for you even more. The biggest podcast kind of what people would say the whole wave of it was 2014 serial where right. Sarah Koenig, who they parody in this show, right. looked into the 1999 murder of Heyman Lee, et cetera. Five million downloads quicker than any other podcast. The idea of it being serialized is not new, but in audio right. it was. The small chunks right. one after right. the other fits very well with how crime discovery works. And so- it going into real life, uh, Anon had a new trial granted in 2016, 
Mm. And then it was denied in 2019. But this brought so much view to a case that had, you know, a situation that happened in 1999. 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Another one in the dark, which came from American public media, which is like the Pepsi to NPR's Coke. They're just the second largest public media radio podcast company. In 2016, two years after Serial, their second season focused on a guy, Curtis Flowers. And this was huge because his latest conviction was overturned by the Supreme Court, which considered situations of prosecutorial misconduct where they were favoring juries that were white which all was uncovered by this podcast. Wow. So that went all the way to the Supreme Court affecting a decision in real life. Well, there's just the idea of being able to contribute anything. If you can break any part of the case, it gets momentum going Mm -hmm. that leads to an arrest and a conviction, any kind of closure. I mean, that's what people want. And there's a good there's at the bottom of it. There's a good thing there. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are other elements to it. Um, that that I think get in the way in cloud and misdirect. But right. I, at, the, at the base level, human response to it is like, well, if I could be the person to help get some, you know, to the next step, that'd be yeah. incredible. I mean, yeah. then that's that, well, that's, what's, a, that's a good thing. So what's interesting, it, what you're saying with that. So just to clarify for everyone, Serial and In the Dark, both, again, hosted by women as well. There you go. Uh, where you're talking about where things get cloudy coming in both of those, like I said, NPR and APM are the ones leading these investigations for this. And then my favorite murder is gossiping over cocktails about it, Right, where you get into and which kind of reminds me of the TV show that we're talking about. There was That's a, a show huge called- distinction. Thank you for drawing yeah. that. That's huge distinction. Huge. Yeah. The, there was a podcast that came out called Up and Vanished. Close to the same time, Payne Lindsay is this guy who was a documentary filmmaker, decides to do something as a podcast, investigating the disappearance of a beauty queen in 2005 in, in a small town in Georgia, and mm. brings up a lot of these ethical legal questions of reporting and investigating because he's crawling under a house where a body might be buried and asking everybody in town what's going on. It's parodied beautifully by two other podcasts. There's one called Done Disappeared. Oh, no. And then a vi- <laughs> and it's, I would, I'll, I'll post links to these, but they're hilarious. And then a very fatal murder was done by The Onion, that famous website. A very does. fatal murder. Yeah, they're both beautiful as in terms of parodying this. But what was crazy about what happened with Payne Lindsay and Up and Vanish, the podcast. So he had brought so much, again, whether or not you think what he was doing was the right thing, just being some guy who's interested in this. <laughs> After episode 12... The alleged killer, Ryan Duke, confessed, and Whoa. he wasn't even referenced in the podcast. The police hadn't considered him, and because they don't release all the information about it, but most people speculate that his confession was predicated on the pressure from the podcast getting national attention wow. and publicity wow. going back on the case. Wow. So that's crazy, too, that like we're talking about with Michelle McNamara, and in this case, this guy, it's like, maybe you don't even know what you're doing, but somebody's like, oh, God, this has been hidden for... 15 years and then they're coming after me yeah (laughs) yeah so the trial for that guy was supposed to be this month but then it got pushed to next year because of covid stuff that's incredible um but just yeah sort of that weird (laughs) you know merging of real life the criticism and the interesting effects in terms of what this is doing with society because people could say oh yeah this is extremely disrespectful to victims and families making this stuff without consent leaving out information being selective about 
the narrative. Yeah, trying to force a narrative. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. because it's not it's not about like we said, it's it maybe isn't even about getting the case done, but it's about how how good is the story <laughs> that you're right. that you're coming up with. Right. I did see also in terms of sensitizing people. It was a 2011 study, I'll post a link to it, that showed that consuming true crime shows, they found, was correlated with an increased fear of being a victim of crime, which seems obvious, Um. but it is perhaps troubling. Like The frequency of watching true crime increased support for the death penalty in people, and then it also decreased support for the criminal justice system. Right, right. and maybe also that's cruel. bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> so they, we don't trust the cr- criminal justice system, but we definitely should kill people. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, it's yeah, it's the skewed perspective. Like I was saying about this is the criticism. If anybody can now right. make these, especially in the podcast space, what is the journalistic standard about how speculative or factual something well, is? Well, that that last one is so interesting because he's not even pointing at the guy that confesses, but it's merely the uh, the attention brought on by mm-hmm. him doing it at all. That leads to the confession. So then it muddies the waters and going like, okay, he's going in a different direction, looking at a different narrative. Not, I'm, I'm not, I haven't listened to it. I'm not right, saying he's right. forcing a narrative, doing anything, you know, with Ill, Ill intent or knowingly doing anything that he should, you know, anything like that, manipulating it. But the fact is, is he was looking in a different direction when the real murderer stood up just because of the attention he was bringing to the case. So it muddies the waters when yeah. you start to, you know, look at, well, were they doing the good work? Well, in that case, not necessarily was he zeroing in on the suspect, but it did lead to to an arrest. Mm-hmm. Like it, so it's that's really hard to then debate. Is like, well, uh, it was good for something, and that's just one case in one particular context. But hmm, yeah. Well, that's <laughs> yeah. and that's the thing of shoving. I know in the show they make a point for comedy's sake about shoving microphones in people's faces or trying to right. say without saying that you consent to being recorded genuine concerns in the real world when it comes down to this stuff. One last statistic with this in terms of perception. So this has been done in the US since 1993. Every year, this survey is given. And at least 60% of adults say there's more crime nationally than there was the year before, even though there's a downward trend in crime. That's so bizarre. But what's even more bizarre is in all the surveys since 93, Less than half of people had said crime is up in their particular area than the year before. It just is out there somewhere. <laughs> One well, is that the question of these this true crime stuff being more prolific, being more involved in everybody's lives, and the interest it's in because, consuming? Yeah, it. it's and interesting it's that being yeah. able to be sold so ubiquitously, so easily. Does that give the false perception that it's actually more common? You know, or, or is, is it, it more, common more common than is it yeah. more common than we were ever thinking in our little lives? Because it's so interesting to say that it's like, well, not in my town, crime hasn't gone out, but I <laughs> yeah. know it has out there. Yeah, uh, that, that's <laughs> when this past year, the gap was the widest ever recorded in that survey between people oh, saying, yes, God. it is out there, but not here. Oh, no, Taylor. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> no. What is the tribalism yeah. is bizarre and it's affecting us in all directions, I believe. Mm-hmm. This is this is very this is very interesting. It's not that the <laughs> onset of all of these all of this media is for nothing. It's like I mm-hmm. think it definitely has had a psychological effect bored out into the statistics you've just laid out. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> Yeah. Well, what I will say on one positive, helpful thing in Australia, and they, whoever's doing these surveys directly attributes it, or at least in part, 
attributes it to podcasts is reports given to their Crime Stoppers line doubled from 2012 to 2017. Oh my God. People saying, oh, there's a bunch of weird stuff going on here. This wasn't like this last week in the neighborhood or et cetera. I want a matching statistic to of those, how many led to like an arrest mm-hmm. or a conviction? Because I some of them probably did, but I wonder with this uptick, what the statistics are the other way. Well, the cri- yeah, the Crime Stoppers were saying they're like, here's what you should report. Here's what is worth because then you, yeah, you do get a bunch of looky loos or people like in this show trying to find something that maybe isn't there or hiding something. Because that's kind of the, the the takeaway from the popularity of this is it's the irony of being obsessed with the truth as long as it's not about you. Right, right. My guess is that they become part of their favorite show. <laughs> right. <laughs> in, t- in terms of the comedy of it. Again, only four episodes are out and I've only watched the first. So that's complete like guessing but Mm -hmm. and it's funny to think about like these people shying away from their personal lives getting invested in something else this this external mystery but then getting involved in it on that note it's it's interesting to see that in media because this isn't even the first time that i've seen podcasters just walk into uh unleashing hell basically is the very successful uh halloween reboot that's the Mm -hmm. center of the the conflict there is Mm -hmm. podcasters investigating the 40th anniversary and then responsible for unleashing him, basically. <laughs> right. So it, we're on a uh, societally, we're on to now commenting on it. And that's what this show is really about is we have gotten to the place where it's, where we are now talking about that, where these be, this, these types of stories now is the story. And it, it not, you know, ending on this note, but also balancing with what we, we said before about like, it also helps you process living in a society where these things are maybe more commonplace or this becoming more prolific is also destigmatizing. Well, you should probably think about this, or it happens more than right. you think. Isn't isn't always podcasters unleashing hell? The idea here is: Are we getting paranoid and more, you know, isolated, or are we being opened up to the reality of how big the world actually is? Because it seems like there is now with how easily these things are bought and sold and created that there is an unending trove of of tragic stories mm-hmm. of justice gone wrong murder unsolved and the scene, you're, there's there there then we're in this cycle now where netflix and these streaming companies they love this stuff and they want to pump it out as much as they can so with it feeling like oh man I'm, this happened 20 years ago i've never heard of it and you get that a lot now you get that mm-hmm. every month well i think the like. i think i saw the statistic for the u.s murder police completing the case rate is around 60 percent Wow. Yeah. And and then that's so eye opening, eye opening to realize it's like, okay, yeah, there's an argument here. It's like this stuff is far more prevalent. Having a murder go unsolved is way more likely than you would think. Mm -hmm. And that getting eyes and attention on these stories can help lead to momentum to a break in the case. And like the guy that wasn't even doing, you know, ended up getting the guy to turn himself in Mm -hmm. unbeknownst to the (laughs) story he was following. Um, Yeah. You just just that other edge of it of the weary of, of forcing a narrative, an unprofessional journalist getting in the middle of this and trying to decide basically what happened can be dangerous. It can be uh, detrimental to a case. It can be detrimental to a victim of whatever that circumstance may or be. Or a community but now on the not, national news again right. that was, you know, yeah. But we have to balance. It's like, what is the exception and what is the rule? And we're in a big conversation now of exactly which way that scale leans. Um, because you can't look at that, the confession case that, and go, 
you know, that guy should have never been meddling there. But it's like <laughs> it did it did break the case. This is all this is all very fascinating. But we're in that we're in the conversation now. To which side does the scale tip? Well, and this is one piece of media that is pulling it towards the, oh, this is worth satirizing because this <laughs> yeah. is interesting. This is weird. Yeah. This is funny. This is silly that people are getting themselves embroiled in this. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, and what a what a fun topic to bring to and something that most people are hearing about. You know, millennials are joking about millennials being addicted to true crime. So it, now we're now it's, you know, Martin Short and, <laughs> and like uh, Hulu involved with one of the biggest TV series mm-hmm. premiering this year. And there's no answer here. There's no, you know, this is a conversation that's ongoing. And we found ourselves now to be in a context where we have to consider these things. Yeah, it's a really interesting conversation. So I hope you guys have enjoyed it. Uh, let us know what you think about it. Um, do you think, you know, podcasting is like, you know, true crime podcasting should get out of the way or you think it's really good? There's, again, we're, this is a conversation. So and join us on our us new know. true crime podcast that we're Oh, man, wouldn't you love it? Oh, we should. No, no, we should. That would get murdered. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, Uh, this has been a blast. Thank you so much, Taylor. Thank Uh, you. Incredible work this week. Thank you guys for sticking with us. Uh, It means the world that you're here listening to us. So let us know. Reach out to us. Um, Not only what do you think about this podcasting true crime phenomenon, it's good or bad thing, but reach out to us. What are you reading? Uh, What are you excited for coming out on TV or in in the theaters? You never know when we might do something that you're super interested to know all about. So message us at illiteratepod on Instagram, and we will catch you next week. 